Welcome to the BGR Review, where we look at current events, relationship issues, and cultural trends from a biblical perspective, and I am your host, Larry Solomon. So this week we're going to be looking at a uh, Reuters news article, uh, and I have the link for it right underneath um, this um, audio, and the title is, Lawyers Ask Vatican to Denounce Criminalization of Homosexuality. So if we uh, look at the article, it states that human rights lawyers, and this is back in the beginning of April here, um, human rights lawyers and gay rights advocates urged the Vatican on Friday to issue a clear and unequivocal statement against the criminalization of homosexuality. The request was made at a Vatican meeting two days after the United Nations said Bernay, which is, uh, it doesn't say here, but it's uh, in a second I'll talk to you more about it. It's a majority Muslim country with some Christians, um, and it's in, it's in uh, m the area of Malaysia. They said that Bernay was violating human rights by implementing Islamic laws that would allow death by stoning for adultery and homosexuality. Bernay has defended its right to implement the laws. So they talk about lawyers here, you know, arguing about that it's a human rights issue. And then they also talk about, you know, that the church... Um, you know, that they're thankful that, that the Pope has spoken out before about respecting human dignity of homosexuals. And um, they said here that the, the, the church teaches, the Catholic Church teaches, that while homosexual tendencies are not sinful, homosexual acts um, are, but it also says that the human dignity of homosexuals must be respected and defended. And they also talk about um, some statements, you know, um, uh, in uh, not this article, but some other ones that I had read um, about reminding that the Pope said, you know, that that aggression should not be tolerated against homosexuals. So therefore, if if countries are outlaw criminalizing it, putting people in jail, that's aggression. So therefore, <clears throat> this should basically be a no-brainer for the Pope to go along with things that he has said before that he should uh, join the United Nations in condemning the criminalization of homosexuality and. I would like to bring up an interesting point here. It's not just homosexuality here. They've uh, implemented uh, stoning, or they're having laws for stoning uh, for adultery in Brene, for adultery and homosexuality. So both there, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But of course, the, the focus would be more on the homosexual side of it. So let's dive right into this. So what does the Bible say about criminalizing homosexuality? Does the Bible say that uh, homosexuality should not be criminalized? Uh, that, that, that it's violating the dignity of a human being? Um, that it's violating human rights to um, stone or kill um, or arrest <coughs> and imprison someone for committing homosexuality or, as in this case, um, adultery? So, <coughs> the uh, Bible answers this question actually very um, quickly here, very clearly. Uh, Leviticus 20.13 says this, If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, they shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. So the Bible here, right up front here, says that it's not wrong. So again, we'll get into this in a second. There's a difference between saying you have to have laws that um, say homosexuals must be imprisoned or killed and saying that laws that call for the death of homosexuals or the imprisonment of homosexuals are immoral. you got to see the difference there. Okay? Um, because today, 
uh, people will say, oh, well, yeah, you know, you believe, you know, a lot of times when people attack the Bible, they'll come with, with passages like this. Like, yeah, your Bible says that adulterers and homosexuals should be stoned. See, that proves it's moral because it's immoral because by our standards today, we believe it's immoral to actually punish by death sexually immoral things like adultery or homosexuality and the Bible actually allows it and 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 for the nation of Israel as a theocracy it commanded it okay but you say okay well okay well then why doesn't it um, command it in the New Testament good question the answer is because you have to look at in the scriptures there's the threefold parts of the law there's the moral law the civil law and the ceremonial law okay and the ceremonial and the civil law were given specifically to the nation of Israel for dealing with sacrificial uh, issues, uh, uh, cleanliness issues, the festivals, um, all, all kinds of years of jubilee, things like that. Okay, that was the, the, the ceremonial law. Then you had the civil law. And what was the civil law for the nation of Israel as a theocracy? That was the punishment for breaking God's moral law. It was it was the civil punishment or restitution to be made for breaking uh, the moral law of God. And of course, it wasn't always the death penalty. There were some times where we would say, "Hey, if you do this, you have to, you know, reimburse this person, or or you have to do this or that." Um, so, but some things were death, and uh, the the Bible actually does call for the death of people who commit the act of homosexuality. If a man also lieth with a man, with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So that brings us back to, okay, so the Catholic Church's position, and I've talked to some other Catholics who try and explain it different ways, but but they, they say that people who have homosexual tendencies is different than people who commit the act of homosexuality. And I would agree with that, that there is a difference that I've said it before to people on my site, being tempted, I've had people write me about this, being tempted by homosexuality is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. It's what we do with that temptation. Do we dwell on it? Do we, do we act upon it? That's where it becomes sin. So I would agree that just the thought, just the temptation uh, popping in your head is not uh, a sin. It's what you do after it that becomes a sin. All right. So um, I'm not I, I'm not saying the Bible says, hey, you know, people can be killed for thinking homosexual thoughts. But then you have to look at um, adultery. So we're, we're, we're going to swing back around to this a little bit, but I want to look at adultery here. Uh, just, uh, De Deuteronomy 22.22 says this, If a man be found lying with a woman, married to a husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away the evil from Israel. So the Bible here again commands death for a man that lies with another man's wife. And, and actually, like our modern... Um, Western uh, definition of adultery is not the biblical definition as far as the most literal version of it. Now, there's a there's a, a spiritual version that's talked about in the New Testament, which is uh, which Christ talked about, which is a man wrongly putting away his wife. Okay, so that's a different subject. But but in its most literal form, okay, adultery is a man 
doesn't matter if he's married to a woman or single, lying, having sex, sexual relations of any kind with another man's wife. That is the, by definition, that is the biblical, the, the most literal definition. So you would say, well, well what if a married man uh, sleeps with a woman that's, that's not his wife, like goes to a prostitute or just a single woman has sex with her and he's married? That's committing adultery, right? Well, by our modern definition, like, you know, the way we define it in our culture, we call that adultery. The Bible does not. That would be fornication. So he's whoremongering, okay? So it's still sin for a married man to sleep with a woman that's not his wife, but it's not technically adultery. He's not committing adultery against his wife. He is committing fornication against God. And that's that's one of those things that people really struggle with. And I might, I, I definitely am going to come back to explaining that more because it, it really, it, the thought process we have today doesn't match this. And this is one of those things as Christians we have to go back and we have to um, retrain our minds. We have to do that transforming our mind. Don't conform to the world, but transform it and renew it, you know, according to the scriptures, according to God's worldview, not man's worldview. Okay? So, summarizing here at this point, what we've learned, that this is, and, and yes, this is a majority Islamic nation. So, this majority Islamic nation that passed the law that uh, calls for the stoning of adulterers and people who commit adultery or homosexual acts, okay? So men sleeping with other men's wives, the, the man and the woman die, and uh, homosexuals, two men or two women, um, engaging homosexual sex together, that they call for the stoning of that, okay? Right here, we see that the scriptures say, if a man lieth with man as mankind, he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, okay? And if a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shall you put away the, the evil from Israel. So we could see right there that this is not wrong. By God's standard, it's not. Now, now again, like I just said, um, uh, for the church, okay, the church is not underneath the the theocracy laws of Israel, okay? So we don't have to implement these civil and this is something that confuses a lot of people. We don't have to implement the civil penalties or restitutions. We're not underneath that. We don't have to do that. Just like we don't have to follow the ceremonial laws, the sacrificial laws, all those kind of things. We don't have to do that anymore. Okay? We're not required to do that. All right? Um, but the moral law of God remains. So what's the moral law in those passages in, in Leviticus Deuteronomy? In Leviticus, it's homosexuality is a sin against God. Or, the homosexual act is a sin against God. And really, even when you say homosexuality itself, the orientation is a corruption of the body. It is a corruption of the nature. So to say it's not a sin to be tempted is one thing, but, but to say, oh, I'm going to just, you know, be comfortable with my homosexuality. I'll just never act on it. No, you shouldn't even be comfortable with it. You shouldn't dwell on if you If you're tempted with it, it's one thing to be tempted. It's another thing to dwell on those thoughts. Because once you dwell on them and you enjoy them and you go, oh, I'm going to fantasize about them or I'm going to go look at homosexual porn or something and I'm going to do else. And that's all okay as long as I'm not actually having sex with homosexual sex. No, it's not. Because you are actually engaging in thoughts of sin in your head and enjoying it. You're enjoying it, okay? There's no context under which under which a man 
laying with another man could ever be right. Now, is there a context under which a man lying with a woman could be right? Yeah, a man could be thinking about a woman that, you know, he's he's dating and he's going to ask to marry him, and he could be thinking about, you know, fantasizing about what it would be like to have sex with her, and that's not sin, because that's God's natural design for a man and woman to come together in sex. So those kind of fantasies are okay as long as he's not um, thinking of how I can seduce her and get her to have sex with me before we're married. Then that becomes lust, that becomes covetous, that's sin, okay? <clears throat> but the actual just... just wondering what it's going to be like, thinking about what it's going to be like to have sex with a woman, a man with a woman, it's not sinful. But a man can't even, enter, a homosexual man cannot entertain, even entertain the thoughts. If that thought comes into his head, pfft, he needs that needs to go away. And I want to come down to speaking of thoughts, okay? Um, the scriptures tell us here, all right? In uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, let's talk about thoughts here for a second. It says, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we are to take every thought, everything that comes into our mind, every imagination, every thought, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So what is the knowledge of God when it comes to sexuality? The knowledge of God is God created man and woman to come together in the act of sex within the covenant of marriage. So, if your thoughts are about sex by itself with a woman, outside of any context, that could be fine. Um, if your thoughts are about having sex with your uh, your girlfriend once you marry her, and not right now, getting her to have sex with you right now, again, that's righteous before God. But if your thoughts are about seducing a woman into having sex outside of marriage, before marriage, maybe you're even engaged or whatever, before you've made that covenant of marriage, you can't do that. So so there's a difference between having thoughts about seduction, enticement, as the Bible calls it in the Old Testament, and just thinking about the act itself of sex between a man and a woman. That is righteous before God. But um, but as far as for homosexuals go, this, this passage really, really hits home for them because <clears throat> it says here that that they need to um, cast down imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So if you're thinking as a homosexual man about being with a man, okay, uh, that you want to carry on a sexual relationship with a man, th that is a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God that says only men and women can be together sexually, not men and men, okay? And we need to bring those thoughts captive to Christ, okay? So, I mean, if, if you look here, like even at Matthew 27, uh, 28 here, I want to bring up another point here about thoughts. So we've covered one part here about thoughts. It says here uh, in Matthew 5, uh, 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her, already in his heart. Now, this is one of the most misinterpreted passages in all of the Bible. I, I can't tell you how many sermons I heard growing up in youth group, other places online, where people will say, yep, that means a man can never have a sexual thought about a woman until he's married. I mean, they literally teach that, like, so some guy's engaged to a woman, right? And they're going to get married in three months or six months or a week from now. If he has any sexual thoughts about her, if he fantasizes about what sex is going to be like with her, He's literally committing adultery. That's what they're saying. And this is this is not what this passage is talking about at 
all. The phrase here to lust after her, okay, the the the, the word lust here is is means to covet, okay. In Romans it tells us about that. That it says, I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Okay? And if we look to the Old Testament, we see what is what is when it says thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, or anything that is thy neighbor's, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean that you can't think about uh, a living in a house that you're gonna buy eventually? No. Is that coveting it? Nope. Okay. Just like you you, you can't think about having sex with a woman. Um, as long as you're not thinking about seducing or trying to steal her, just like you're not trying to steal a man's house or steal a man's oxen or whatnot. That's what it's talking about. It's covetousness, lust is the thought of, of when it comes to sex is enticing a woman, getting her to have sex with you in violation in a way that violates God's law outside of the covenant of marriage. So this is not Matthew 5, 27, 28 does not condemn normal heterosexual fantasy. It does not. It condemns thoughts of fornication and adultery. And they say, well, well, if you're thinking about sex with her before you're married, that's a thought of fornication. No. are you When you're thinking of sex about her before you're married, are you thinking about enticing her into sex before you're married? That is a thought of fornication. Okay? Or um, if you are, and, and this one's a, one that people really don't like, but I'm going to bring it in, bring it home here. If you are uh if you find you know your neighbor's wife um hot okay and she's a married woman right? oh that, no no that, that no wait a minute if you had some fantasy about her okay and but you're not actually making good on that you're not thinking about like oh I'm, here's how I'm going to seduce her you're not in your head like fantasizing about oh her husband goes on a business trip and I'm going to or, or 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 you don't find yourself going over there to flirt with her and trying to establish a relationship all there, there there's there's no thought of ever trying to seduce her trying to take her away from her husband to do anything like that nothing like that okay so it, it can be just within the context of sex outside of any context a man with a woman okay I mean, you could invent a fantasy in your head that, okay, yeah, her her husband passes, um, you know, you're you're single, your wife passes, and you know, you're you're doing something with her. There there are imaginations in context that that imagination. Okay, if you imagine that this beautiful woman, her husband's died, your your wife's died, and you're now able to be together. Okay, is that a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? Second Corinthians uh, ten five here. Is that a, is that a thought that does that? I would argue it is not because it, within that context, there's no sin. That's not a sinful context for sex to be occurring. So, um, but here, uh, another thing I want to point out about Matthew, Matthew 27, 28 is that in the Old Testament, we see God saying, hey, if a man uh, lie, you know, if a man lies with another man's wife, you know, they're to be put to death, right? So they're dealing with the action of adultery. Christ is dealing here with the thought sin of adultery. This is the lust, right? This this is the covetousness, okay? So what am I saying here? What I'm saying is, is that God is the one who judges our thoughts. So I would never, if somebody were to say to me, our laws against the act of, like you committed the act of homosexuality or you committed the act of adultery or even uh, uh, fornication laws like premarital sex laws okay our laws against uh, those things okay now I don't see an allowance in the scriptures for 
killing someone for for a couple for having premarital sex okay so so just premarital sex is one thing but adultery it's absolutely there homosexuality it's absolutely there right but what the but what God doesn't allow and this goes for civil government this goes for church leaders pastors government this goes for even husbands in the home in the, in the home authority um, our thoughts are judged by one person alone God God and God alone. God can punish us for our thoughts. Man cannot. And 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 so that's why as husbands we got to be really careful that you know our, our our wives can have thoughts that are different or that we may know that they don't agree with us on something. Okay? But somebody will say, "Oh, there you go." So so hey, so if you get uh, mad at your wife for for saying something, you know, against you, then you're well, let's back up here. Okay. Um, if it's one thing if you think a certain way, and I know maybe that you think a certain way. It's another if you say what you think and how you say it and where you say it, right? So if a wife says something in a disrespectful tone, expressing her contrary thought to her husband, or she even expresses it, maybe not super disrespectful, but expresses it in the wrong area, like in front of a bunch of people, that can still be wrong. So it's like, well, are you judging your thoughts? No. Her action, the, when the words come out of her mouth, that is now an action. That's no longer just a thought. You're now expressing the thought. Okay? So now that becomes an action. So um, going back to this, from a scriptural perspective, is God okay with the nation of Brunei passing laws that, um, now, even though, yeah, it's based on the Quran, which we do not accept as the word of God as Christians, okay? Um, but can a country whether they're Muslim, Christian, or other, can they pass, even if they weren't really religious, what if they just decided, we want to severely discourage the acts of adultery and homosexuality, therefore we are passing a death penalty if people are caught doing these things, okay? From a biblical perspective, is that immoral? Does God not allow that? Or did God change his mind from the days of Israel and go, okay, you're not allowed to do that? Now, again, we can't confuse this with God saying we have to. God's not saying Brunei has to stone people for adultery and homosexuality. He's not saying the United States has to stone people for adultery and homosexuality or any other country has it. You know, we're no longer required to do that under the new covenant, okay? Because the, the, we're not the theocracy of Israel. We are the church, which is a spiritual body. It's not a physical nation where God's rules uh, centered around a physical nation in the Old Testament. But the point is, this is the point, don't miss. The point is, it's not immoral for any nation, including this Muslim-majority nation, to pass laws. It's not a violation of human rights because, let's go back to this for a second. Who is the one who establishes what human rights are? Is, is it the UN? Because that's what secular humanists believe. Secular humanists believe that the UN actually is the one who, in, who, who decides what human rights are. Not God. God doesn't decide what human rights are. The UN does. But as Christians, we believe that God decides, at least we should if we're Bible-believing Christians, that God is the one who decides what human rights are. Remember, let's go back to uh, Romans, okay? Romans 13.4. It says this, speaking of civil government, God's institution of civil government. Remember, there's three main forms of human government that God has instituted. Family government, which is headed by the husband and father. Um, you have 
the church government, which is headed by pastor or elders of the church, okay? Um, and then you have uh, civil government, okay? And that could take on many forms. It could have a king. You could have a democratically elected president. You don't, you don't have to have them democratically elected. But, but what the Bible does say is what is the point of civil government? Romans 13, 4. For he, civil government, so I could say here, for civil government, for he is, for civil government, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he, for civil government, beareth not the sword in vain. For he, for civil government, is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So right there, he beareth not the sword in vain. The sword is an instrument of death. Okay, so the government has the right to uh, pass the death penalty. However, they 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 can't they cannot add to God's moral law. The government is the executor of God's moral law. They are not the maker, and this is where a lot of Christians miss this. They think that the government can do anything. They'll say, "Well, it says obey all the laws of the government." No, the government is only supposed to back up God's moral laws. So, if our laws are reflective of God's moral law, wonderful. But if we uh, give rights that God does not give, those are null and void. Or if we take away rights with our laws that God has given, those re restrictions on on rights that God has given us, those inalienable rights. That God that cannot be surrendered, uh, those can't be canceled. So a law that cancels my God-given rights is void. It's null and void. As far as God is concerned, as far as I'm concerned, it is null and void. And if a right, so if it cancels a God-given right he gives me, it's null and void. If it adds a right God didn't give me, it's also null and void. But the point here from Romans 13:4 is that the government does have the right to execute people for things that God says are worthy of death. And he tells us in the Old Testament that uh, homosexuality and adultery are things that can be worthy of death. Now, again, we don't have to do that, but we can. So, yes, if, if America, you know, changed into a theocracy 100 years from now... <laughs> Uh, a la Handmaid's Tale, and yes, I'm going to be doing a review on that, and just a preview, no, I don't agree with everything in The Handmaid's Tale, but I agree with some of it, okay? If, if we had a, I would call it a theonomy, not a theocracy, and I've explained that on my site, and I'll explain that again, okay? Not a theocracy, because a theocracy can only be directly ruled by God through prophets. Uh, um, Israel had prophets that would give them the direct, the kings that would give them the direct, um, knowledge of God. They would go to the king, the prophet, and say, this is thus saith the Lord, this is what God's telling you to do, right? They had a direct line from God, okay? We don't have that anymore. Not right now. We do not have that in this dispensation, this time. So we, we, we don't have a direct phone line to God. We have his word, okay? So we have the principles to live by. But So we can't have a theocracy without, like, prophets of the Old Testament, okay? Without people with a direct line to God. So with that being the case, we can have what's called a theonomy. A theonomy means just that your laws are based upon the Bible. Your moral laws are based upon the Bible. And you could literally put into your constitution in a theonomy that adultery is punishable by death, that, that homosexuality, or, or, or that, that if you commit adultery, it's punishable by death. If you commit a homosexual act, it's punishable by death. If you, you know, 
do any of these certain things, you know, you, you could put that in there. You could put laws about marriage, the rights of husbands and wives. You could put all of that in there based upon scriptural principles and things that God allows in the Old Testament and God talks about as well in the New Testament. So, with that being said, so what do we see here in the scriptures? Um, we see that God, it's very, very clear that this is not a violation of human rights. Okay? That this is not a violation of human rights. Because who gives us human rights? Who is the determiner of human rights? It's God. God and God alone. And God tells us we're not dehumanizing someone because we either arrest them or even put them to death for committing adultery or homosexuality. All right? In fact, and when people say, oh, well, that's not loving people. Well, then apparently God wasn't loving people. Okay, here? What God does is right. What God allows is right. And if God allows for the death of people who commit homosexuality or the death of people who commit... Okay, could you imagine... Let's just zoom in on adultery for a second here. Could you imagine... Um, you know, because homosexuals are a smaller part of the population, and and I meant to actually bring that up because I have that um, in the links here. It's a it's a very you know uh, important part here. I I have a link here that shows that um, while homosexuals only make up a very small um, percentage of the population, okay, uh, right? Yep, CDC. I was looking up right here. It says here, and I have the link here. This is from CDC.gov. It says gay and bisexual men are the population most affected by HIV in the United States. In 2016, gay and bisexual men accounted for 67% of the 40,324 new HIV diagnoses in the United States. Okay? That is incredible. 67%. All right? So even though... They, they, they make up this small population of the United States, okay? It depends on the numbers where you get them. It'll, you know, say 3 or, or, or 5%. Um, but even though they make up this, this small percentage of the population, okay? They're responsible for 67% of new HIV cases. That's a problem, Okay? Even from a secular perspective. Now they're saying, hey, on this uh, CDC say, oh, well, we can solve it through medicine and education. So basically, you can still keep whoring around and you can still keep, you know, doing every other guy you find or at the bar or whoever. We're going to help you with medicine to be able to overcome that. And and, and, and this is, we're not just talking about homosexuals here. We're doing the same thing with, with heterosexual sex. We're coming up with all these drugs, all these ways to, to, to get around sexually transmitted diseases, realizing this is the judgment of God on, on um, sexually immoral behavior. We're just trying to get around it so we can cushion people and keep them from having to face accountability of what they did. I mean, even if you, if you think about abortion, same thing. Abortion is protecting uh, protecting women from the consequences of their actions. Oh, I went out and had sex with a guy I didn't really hardly know. Oh, I'm pregnant with this baby. I need to be able to go have an abortion. Oh, or give me the day after pill or whatnot, you know. Um, so we're just, we're protecting people from the consequences of their sinful choices and their sinful actions, okay? When what this other, this Muslim country, this Brunei is doing is they're holding people accountable for their sinful choices. You choose to sleep with another man's wife, you're going to die and she's going to die. If you go and you sleep with another man, 
you're going to die, she's going to die, or, or he's going to die, okay? And just really quick here, um, I, some people have tried to write me and say, oh, see, the Bible doesn't really specifically, you know, talk about, you know, lesbians. It just talks about, you know, man lying with man, right? So, so lesbians, it's, it's fine, you know, that's, that, that's fine. Well, actually, it's not. Uh, Romans 1 says this, and this is talking about people being, being, you know, stepping away from God's truth, that they've given, God gives them up to vile affections. It says this, verse 26 of Romans 1 and then 27. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. He calls this vile. What is this vile affection? For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And then in verse 27, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Okay. So, I mean, he calls men being with men, vile affections, because it's likewise here. So it's a likewise vile affections. It's, this is a vile affection of a man. We, I mean, we're, we're honoring it on TV. We're going, Oh, look at these two guys. It's love. Isn't it? No, it, there's some kinds of love. There's some kinds of affection and I really call it infatuation, but there's some kinds of affection that are vile. It's vile. That's what the scriptures call it. <clears throat> so here it calls women. It says women changing women to change their natural use into that which is against nature. Okay. What is their natural use? In verse 27, it tells us that for, uh, for the natural use of the woman is for the man to have sex with her. This is the natural use of the woman for the man. So if a woman lets another woman use her body sexually they engage in sexual intercourse with one another okay and they're she's letting another woman use her body sexually okay then she's allowing a use that's not meant to be it's a vile affection so yes this would condemn people in lesbian relationships romans 126 condemns people entering into lesbian relationships, women entering into lesbian relationships. So I just wanted to clarify that here before we uh, wrap it up. But so, um, in summary here, okay, the Bible tells us that what Brunei did is not wrong, okay? And the U United Nations doesn't decide what's moral and what's not, and what's a human right and what's not. God does, okay? And even if a country that, 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 has a false religion, and I would argue that the Islam does not worship the same God we do. Okay, but whether it's a Christian country or, or a non-Christian country, okay, that that God does not consider it immoral for a nation to uh, criminalize and say you're either going to be arrested or you're going to be killed if you commit uh, a homosexual act or an act of adultery. So uh, thanks for listening, and um, I've got these uh, passages. I'll put them up. Um, you know, underneath the link and some other links that you can look at there. Um, but uh, I just wanted to kind of put this out there because we're, we're getting bombarded with this as Christians. This is just coming around us like crazy, uh, the whole gay, gay rights and transgender agenda. And I and I really believe it's an attack on the nature of God himself, okay? This, 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 is, this is the assault on just getting rid of God because the Bible just comes out and just does not accept this kind of behavior shows us against design so this is the world being able to go hey look your bible is immoral because your bible says transgenderism uh, men wearing that which pertains to a woman and men lying with men homosexuality it says transgender 
transgenderism and homosexuality are evil. Therefore, your Bible is evil. Okay, you need to get rid of your Bible. Your God, your th this God is made of God. That's bad. Okay, so, so this is a way to attack God. It's a way to attack the Bible. It's a way to attack our faith. And so we as Christians need to stand against this. We need to stand for what the Scriptures say, even if it's politically incorrect, even if um, you know it costs us our jobs. Um, but I would argue we still need to use every legal right that's out there. So, hey, you know, I've heard of people, you know, lost their jobs because they supported, you know, um, the marriage between a man and a woman. And you know what? And they go sue. And I believe, you know, the Apostle Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen as well. I think we as Christians should, we don't have to take it lying down. We can go and use the courts and use, because there's this whole tension coming between the equal protection clause in the constitution and the freedom of religion and, and they're and they're they're smashing into each other and the supreme court is having to dance a thin line here and we as christians need to put pressure we as christians do not should not take it lying down we should use every legal means at our disposal to to fight we, we shouldn't go oh, well they're the ones coming in oh well we're not gonna we're just gonna learn no we need to fight it Okay, just like the Apostle Paul did. Well, anyway, thanks for listening, and may God be with you, and uh, may God bless you.